0: Hey everybody, it's Tyler Bond. Uh, Before we get started on this week's edition of the show, before the show, a quick programming note. We recorded this week's episode uh, just a few hours before the trade went down that sent Lucas Giolito and a package of prospects to the Chicago White Sox in exchange for Adam Eaton. So we will not be discussing that trade on this week's edition of the show, which is an important thing to note because our guest on this week's edition of the show is White Sox scouting director Nick Hostetler, and the reason that you will not hear him talking about uh, the new agreement Acquired prospects who have entered his organization is when the interview went down. Uh, we didn't have that information as of yet, so uh, that's the uh, the reason behind that. But Lucas Gilito, Dane Dunning, and Reynaldo Lopez all headed to the Chicago White Sox from the Washington Nationals. We will. Talk a whole lot about the deal that sent Chris Sale to the Boston Red Sox and that package of prospects, including Joan Moncada, which heads to Chicago. You'll hear a lot of discussion about that and more. And we'll have more reaction to this Giolito trade from the Nationals to the White Sox as well coming up next week. But we just wanted to get that out there before we get started. And with that, here's this week's show. <laughs> It snowed a bunch here overnight and I feel like it was just to to get us into a winter mood for a winter meetings episode. It's very it's a lot of things running together here. It's very good synergy we've got between I mean
1: on your end, I'm looking our at end. a big bright blue Maryland sky right oh, now. Oh, cool,
0: Sam. Rub it in. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate yeah, no, it. no, I
1: just wanted to run road that in a little bit. <laughs> it was just in a
0: very specific geographic region, getting me in the mood to talk about winter meetings. That's what it was. <laughs> that was the point of the weather this week. Hey, hi, everybody. Welcome in the 87th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon, and in National Harbor, Maryland, is Sam Dykstra. Is it, in fact, our National Harbor? Okay, so here's an interesting thing about National Harbor. It's weird that it's a dateline
1: because... It's not a town so much as it's literally a census designated place. Like
0: Bowie's Creek. Yes. The new yeah, home thought, of Booe's like Creek. Creek
1: it's like what I typically think of for a census designated place, which is just that it's really small, but enough people live there that we need to have a name for it and but there's like no town government, there's no official, you know, apparatus right. around the town. Uh, National Harbor reminds me of that town from Back to the Future, Hill Valley. Like it just—it's perfectly set up in which for people to exist, and like there's shops and there's restaurants and there's big hotels and all these, but nobody lives here. They only come here for conferences, like the winter meetings, or God knows what else, you know, comes through here. But uh, yeah, it's such a strange place just to see, you know, such a manufactured area. But uh, yeah, that's to set the scene. That's where I am currently.
0: Well, okay. I mean, that sounds sounds good. The winter meetings in day three. Now, I guess officially day four, because technically things got started on Sunday, but really Monday. Right. Tuesday, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 7th. Um, and uh, yeah, winter meetings are are going fast and furious. All kinds of craziness today uh, on the major league side, of course, with big transactions. We're not going to be talking about that. But we're going to be talking about a whole lot else as we get started on the 87th episode of this podcast, which you can find. At MILB.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on iTunes and on the Stitcher app. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription and all that uh, good stuff, which has propelled us, rocketed us toward the top 15 in uh, baseball podcasts on iTunes, which makes us feel oh so cool. So uh, give us give us one of those. And also, you can get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. Sam is on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and I am on Twitter at Tyler Maughn, and that gets us started with three strikes for uh, a hot stove winter meetings edition of the show before the show. We're going to start things off with a deal that has everybody around the baseball community talking. Chris Sale to the Boston Red Sox in exchange for a massive prospect package which heads the other way to the Chicago White Sox. Four prospects that includes – infielder Yoan Mankata. That group is loaded with talent. Mankata, obviously, the first and foremost among the group, but also former first-round pick Michael Kopech, who is a pitcher who has had his issues off the field, has been – pretty successful on the field when he's been healthy he goes to the white Sox along with outfielder luis alexander basabe there was a, another luis basabe i believe in the system right which is why he goes by the full three names uh, that was and, actually
1: his brother his twin brother who is luis alejandro basabe there
0: is sam always know every everything you want to know sam knows i have like a so the vague Sox recollection no longer of have any luis Basabes. that's the, they're they're fully out of freshly out, out of space
1: they, they had two and they're both out of stock <laughs>
0: And also right-hander Victor Diaz headed to Chicago as well. Uh, but let's dive into this trade because this is a this is a big deal um, in terms of just the talent that has been moved. We're not really going to evaluate it from this side, but on the Red Sox side, man, this is a win-now type of move. I mean, 2017 comes with a whole lot of expectations now with Chris Sale being added to that rotation. And if you're the White Sox, kind of two-fold thought. One, you sort of wave the white flag on uh, what looked like it was going to be a team that was going to contend for for the postseason and more at the start of 2016. Dealing away, Chris Sale now seems to signal that this is rebuild mode on the south side in Chicago. But two, man, this is a good way to start a rebuild because Mankata himself is one heck of a haul in this trade. Your thoughts, Sam?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we never see the number one overall prospect in the game traded like this. Um, I think it was masslive.com. you know, did a report afterwards that going back 20 years, if you use baseball America rankings, we typically use MLB.com uh, cause they are kind of partners in this, but if you use baseball America, uh, going back to 1996, no first overall prospect has been swapped, uh, while they were still, you know, still had prospect status. So to move Moncada, you, know, you knew you were going to have to get something major in return um, not like the Red Sox approach it that way. They approached it like they are getting Chris Sale, you know, five-time All-Star, perennial Cy Young contender. Uh, we're going to have to move a lot to get him, and that's what they did. They moved Moncada. I would love to be privy to those conversations. Um, you know, you'll hear later. We uh, we have our interview this week with White, Ho- White Sox scouting director Nick Hostetler, uh, who says, you know, how important it was to get Moncada back, how much they were singing his praise beforehand um, so you know the scouting de- department was really excited to get him. Uh, you know the you know player development side is really excited to get him. Um, but if you're gonna if you're gonna move a guy like Moncada who has you know a lot of value as that number one overall prospect, you're going to have to get an anchor of your rotation, an ace of your rotation, like they did in Sale. Um, so yeah, Moncada now becomes a White Sox. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how they use him going forward. Uh, You know, in the conversations, in the press conferences I've sat in on, uh, as you're going to kind of hear later, they view him for now as a second baseman. Uh, He obviously got time last year at third base where the Red Sox had a need with Pablo Sandoval injured and Travis Shaw struggling for a little bit. Uh, So he's played either of those positions. But Rick Hahn called him an up the middle talent, which tells me that, yes, they think he can play at second base. Uh, They really would love for him to. He paired with Tim Anderson, you know, at short, but they believe in his athleticism enough that they think he could play a very solid center field. Obviously they have Adam Eaton, but like you mentioned, Tyler, uh, this is the first signal that the White Sox are kind of going into rebuild mode. They have a lot of interesting pieces, you know, between sale, who they already let go of, H- Jose Quintana, uh, Adam Eaton, Todd Frazier. These are all guys who could bring back legitimate prospect halls and make this a very exciting farm system. It's a that can be a tough sell on the major league side with fans. But, um, you know, if they are able to get some of the returns that they, you know, if this is a sign that they are going to uh, be sellers, you know, this farm system is going to get a whole lot more interesting in in the very near future.
0: (laughs) From the Red Sox perspective, um, you know, like we said, this is obviously a move designed to win a World Series in 2017, and that's the ultimate goal of everything. But is there an argument to be made that this giving up Makata alone is too much? I mean, can you can you see that from the perspective of, obviously, they're set at a whole ton of positions and up the middle, they seem to be pretty well set. But is his talent, like you said, you don't see the top prospect in baseball dealt that often. And if you're going to to ship a guy away, then Chris Sale is the type of return you want. But do you think a few years down the road, do we look back at this and go, man, that, that could have worked out better for Boston?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, Dave Dombrowski said it himself. You know, there might come a day where, you know, Mankata has a 15-year career and he's sitting there whacking himself on the head just saying, you know, yeah. geez, what w- did we do here Uh, But that's, you know, that's the risk you take in any trade. Um, But I I, a little bit I'm a a little bit on your side there, Tyler, saying, you know, if I hold the number one chip, the number one young chip in baseball, I don't know if I ever give it away Uh, just because of the years of control, just because of, you know, you don't know the potential of this guy. Uh, You know, Mankata could become a very good major league player by the end of next year. And then you're holding on to him for years beyond that. I mean, Yohan Mankata will be with the White Sox longer than Chris Sale will likely be with the Red Sox. uh, And a much cheaper price overall. Um, So I don't know. I I always thought if the Red Sox were going to go in on sale, uh, they were going to try to ship out some of their other guys. I mean, you know, we're not in the room for those discussions. I'm sure Mankata was the last breaking point. I can't imagine they agreed to trade Yohan Mankata, Michael Kopech first. And, oh, by the way, please throw in Victor Diaz. Uh, I sure, I'm sure, i sure the last thing that needed to come was the Red Sox agreeing to get rid of Mankata. Um, but, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, uh, multiple all-star appearances in Chicago. And, you know, the Red Sox have to win a World Series now with Chris Sale to kind of justify that.
0: There's another component to this. We heard as of a couple of nights ago that the Washington Nationals were really in the final stages of maybe pulling off a deal to get Chris Sale, and there were rumors that Lucas Giolito was in that deal. Uh, There were rumors of several other prospects. There was also some discussion yesterday, Tuesday, when the deal went down with the Red Sox, that maybe the Nationals weren't that close, and it was some type of bargaining chip to drive the price up from Boston's side. But the the prospect packages that looked like they may have been out there from the Nationals' What about that, do you think it ended up swinging the deal in favor of the Red Sox rather than going that route, pulling in one of the top pitching prospects in baseball in Giolito? There were some discussions that maybe there was a chance that Trey Turner was involved in some of those conversations. I mean, how, you know, looking back in retrospect now, how do you evaluate that situation?
1: Yeah, well, um, the thing is, we we tend to get really centered on prospects. So, you know, there was a report that the Nationals, I think it was by the Washington Post that the Nationals really went hard after sale, even offering, you know, Lucas Giolito, Victor Robles, and Reynaldo Lopez, all of which are, you know, top 50 prospects in the game right now, according to MLB.com. So to offer three top 50 prospects is huge. I mean, I I can't imagine any team saying no to that for almost anything. Uh, But, you know, that's a report. We don't know if that's entirely true. Maybe the Nationals were willing to go that far but never officially offered it, and the White Sox were... You know, the second they heard Mankata, they were ready to go. Uh, The one thing the Nationals, or the one player the Nationals didn't seem ready to let go of under any circumstances was Trey Turner. Uh, If they were willing to add in Trey Turner instead of Robles or, you know, instead of Lopez and Robles, something like that, then I think the White Sox may have jumped very quickly. But, you know, Turner, once he's established himself in the majors the same way with Andrew Benintendi I mean Rick Hahn said that you know there were a couple of players within the Red Sox system who when they initially held talks about this a year ago uh, over a Chris Sale deal uh, there were guys then there were prospects who have now established themselves in the majors once you do that it becomes so much harder to trade a guy so Andrew Benintendi trade Turner these are guys who were really solid in 2016 at the game's highest level now you know you have Major league organizations were unwilling to let go of them, uh, as opposed to a, a Mancada, you know, who has gotten a taste of the majors but has really struggled. I think he struck out in sixty percent of his plate appearances. Uh, Giolito had his struggles there. Lopez had his struggles there. So uh, we're still dealing in unproven pieces when we're talking about prospects. And uh, maybe I think that was kind of the pushing point. I also think the pushing point in in listening to the White Sox. Uh, talk about what they got from the Red Sox. I think they're really high on Mankata, as we all are. I think they're especially high on Michael Kopek. Uh after seeing him in the fall league, you know, he's had his problems. He he was suspended for PEDs in 2015. Uh he missed a good chunk of this season as they're breaking his hand in a, in an altercation. You'll kind of hear this later in our interview uh how the White Sox were able to get over those in, uh worries, but uh based on the way he pitched this year in Salem and then carried that to the Arizona fall league, a guy who can hit triple digits. I think they're as high on him as basically anybody can be on a pitching prospect in the game right now. Um, So we, we can't look this at, at this necessarily through the lens lens of rankings. Uh, We have to look at how much, you know, the white Sox like what they were getting back. And I think they really, really like Moncada and Kopech
0: strike two. We'll stay with the Boston Red Sox system, but instead of the white Sox, we'll be talking about the Milwaukee brewers. And this story comes to us from our own Sam Dykstra at the winter meetings in national Harbor quote, Boston acquired right-handed reliever Tyler Thornburg and a deal for number 12 prospect Mauricio Dubon, a former guest on the show before the show podcast, by the way, just six episodes ago. Number 22 prospect Josh Pennington and corner infielder Travis Shaw. That deal, Milwaukee system we discussed, you know, a couple of weeks ago talking with Lewis Brinson about just how much that system has been reshaped by trades. Twofold in this conversation, one good acquisition of talent for the Brewers to a larger scale conversation that we'll have in a moment. This Red Sox system looks vastly different as of recording this on Wednesday than it did on Sunday and Monday. But first, what are the Brewers getting and how does this factor into the way they need to try to reshape themselves to compete in that loaded division in the Central and the National League?
1: Yeah. So, you know, just a moment ago we were talking about how the White Sox are looking to rebuild and, you know, how the sale trade was kind of a, a, a light to the rest of the, the baseball universe that they're ready and open for business. Uh, the Brewers have been ready and open for business for a couple of years now. Uh, you know, you look at their top prospects who they've acquired via trade, Lewis Brinson, Josh Hader, Luis Ortiz, Phil Bickford, Brett Phillips, Isan Diaz. These are all guys they brought into the organization. I think that six of their top eight uh, were traded and, you know, the other two were their last two first round picks. Uh, so this Brewers system continues to improve itself. Now, obviously, you're improving the farm system, so you can improve the major league level and hopefully be a, a you know contender for years to come. Brewers aren't there yet, uh, but they're still very much sellers. I mean, they're they're turning pieces in. You know, Jeremy Jeffries over traded over the summer. Uh, you know, they turned him into a, a couple of decent prospects. Uh, Tyler Thornburg, not necessarily you know entering 2016 as a guy at anybody thought would be an elite reliever turned himself into that with Milwaukee now all of a sudden they get to even add more talent to their system when they trade him away so uh on the outside it looks like the, the Brewers are kind of doing rebuilding right but they still have to you know take that next step something that the Cubs did you know this year and last year um turning that rebuilding project into success at the major league level uh we'll see how they do that what they got this time around Um, Travis Shaw you know major league piece he'll be a corner infielder for there for them has some decent pop really struggled at the end of the second half for our purposes it's much more interesting with Dubon and Pennington Uh, Dubon just had a killer year this year Uh, you know please go back and listen to us talk to him about his time in the AFL and uh, how he kind of arrived in America after growing up in Honduras and ended up being a 26th round pick in 2013 but this year was a breakout year for him. He hit 323 with six homers, stole 30 bases, uh, you know, had a 379 OBP, 461 slugging percentage, and eight forty uh OPS. He was a guy who is a pretty solid shortstop. Everybody you talk to thinks he's got a decent chance to be a, a starting major league shortstop. Uh, not you know an elite level like Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, that type, but a very solid, dependable guy there. Uh, he's also got experience at second base and center field. Um, you know the, the Brewers have said they're going to continue to try him out at multiple positions. Obviously, they have Orlando Arcia uh, at that you know major league level after he uh, graduated as a prospect this year. So we'll see how they kind of use Dubon, but uh, he's just another you know solid prospect for a, an improving system. Uh, going back to Pennington, he was a guy drafted by the Red Sox after he had had Tommy John surgery. So not, you know, they kind of took him as a lottery ticket. Uh, He ended up signing for $90,000 in 2014 after being taken in the 29th round. Uh, He's a guy who can hit the upper 90s fairly easily. Um, This was his first year back from the surgery, so still has not pitched above Class A short season Lowell. uh, Had 71 strikeouts, 40 walks, and 78 and two-thirds innings. So a little bit of control issues with him that you're going to find that at with any hard thrower in the lower levels. But uh, they seem to like his velocity. Uh, They seem to like, you know, his curveball, his breaking pitches. And, uh, you know, for, for a reliever, they got a pretty good return out of this, I would say.
0: So let's have the conversation about this Boston system, because this was, you know, an upper echelon. I don't think a a top echelon system, but certainly an upper echelon system as of a few days ago. And it's reshaped. And and like we said, the ultimate aim of all of these moves is to win a World Series for every organization. That's the goal, whether you're building toward it in twenty nineteen or whether you're building toward it in twenty seventeen. But as of right now. This is a system that has lost the top prospect in the game, uh, a former first-round pick on the mound, a very good talent in Mauricio Dubon. I mean, there is a lot gone from this Boston system, and if they win a World Series in 2017, it doesn't matter. But how does this look right now when you take a look at that system versus where it was a few days ago?
1: Yeah, this, I mean, it has Dave Dombrowski's fingerprints all over it. it if the uh, you know system a week ago had... Ben Sherrington's fingerprints all over it and how they you know, built up the farm system during the, the leaner years of a couple of years ago. Uh, now it has Dave Dombrowski's fingerprints all over it and that a lot of the talent has been traded away. You know, Dombrowski has that reputation of I'm going to chase major league pieces and I'm going to pay whatever the price is to get them. Uh, and he's certainly shown that in his first two years, you know, as a Red Sox executive. Uh, yeah. But this Red Sox system right now, the top prospect is Ben Intendi. Uh, but he's obviously going to start the year in Fenway, you know, with the big club, not going to have prospect status for long. After that, the only real top 100 guys you're talking about are Rafael Devers, who, you know, a lot of people are very high on, but he's no Mancata uh, by any stretch. And Jason Grome, who, you know, was their first round pick last year. And again, a lot of people are high on, but has only pitched two, six and two thirds innings in the minors. That's about it. Uh, and as you go further into the system, it's, it's not like you'll see a guy who you could highlight and say, like, oh, well, he could turn into a top 100 prospect someday. Uh, it, it doesn't quite work that way. You know, Further down the system, you look, there's guys like Michael Chavez, who is a first-round pick who's struggled. Trey Ball you know, was, I think, the seventh overall pick back in 2013. He has not found himself, hasn't broken past Class A Advanced Salem in his first couple of years in the system. Uh, it, it thins out very quickly. It always did that before, but they had that top end talent that just looked like they were definitely going to make the majors. Uh, and it, it's thinned out real, uh, not real well, I should say. Uh, beyond that, I mean, there's still some pieces to like. I think Sam Travis, you know, missed most of 2016 with an injury. Uh, you could, you're likely to see him with the big club at some t- time in 2017. Uh, Brian Johnson remains there as a you know starting option at Triple A Pawtucket. Josh Hockamy, I think, is a guy on the up and up uh, as a, you know, kind of power hitting first baseman who strikes out a lot. But, you know, he's only played a Class A Greenville so far. Some small pieces to like, but it's certainly not a time to buy stock in Red Sox prospects, I would say.
0: So strikes one and two very uh, Red Sox heavy this week because they have been big movers and shakers on the the winter meeting stage as of so far. This is such a fun time of year, though. Like To get to have these conversations is kind of the oasis in the offseason desert, which is is really fun for us, and uh, especially to see where these prospects now go going into 2017 and beyond. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun for us, and that White Sox system, man, I'm, I'm pretty excited if I'm a White Sox fan just from that deal alone. Maybe 2017 isn't going to be that kind, but uh, there's a lot of talent that's going to be on the way to uh, Guaranteed Rate Field in 2017 and beyond. Comiskey is what it's called. Uh, strike three this week. Sam at the Winter Meetings in, uh, in National Harbor, Maryland. We're going to talk with Benjamin Hill here in a little bit about the business side of the Winter Meetings, what it takes to put this event on, what it takes to really ensure that the minor league baseball aims are accomplished. We'll hear about Pat O'Connor, minor league baseball president, and his speech, the trade show, the atmosphere around the minor league side and the business side from Ben. But for you, Sam, getting a chance, and as you mentioned, we're going to hear, uh, hear in a little bit from uh, one of the guys who is sort of at the, the forefront of these deals that have been made so far, Nick Hostetler, the scouting director in the Chicago White Sox organization. We'll hear from him, but you're getting a chance to talk to people on the baseball side. What has this been like from from your vantage point?
1: What I really like about it is how streamlined everything at the winter meetings is. I mean, you'll hear Ben talk about it from a business side later, but um, from a baseball perspective, you know, a trade will happen. The media room kind of gets a buzz when you know, something's kind of in the air uh, and something like the sale trade, you know, it went from the Red Sox are interested. The Red Sox are closing in and it's a done deal kind of within an hour. Uh, Things moved really, really quickly but the great thing about it is everybody's in the same building, so if a trade happens not long after that, Dave Dombrowski's coming out to talk about it, you know, in a press conference, and then Rick Hahn is out to explain his side not long after, uh, you know, with the the Brewers Red Sox deal. Uh, David Stearns, you know, is, is ready to explain, you know, why they went after those three prospects. Uh, well, Travis Shaw and those two prospects, you know, in the Tyler Thornburg trade. Everything is just, it's so much more accessible, Uh, you know, and and that's a little inside baseball-y, I I guess, for people who aren't media members. But, um, you know, when everybody is together like this, this is why trades happen. This is why deals happen, you know, why your favorite free agents are signing or why your favorite teams are signing free agents. Everybody is together. So it's so much easier to communicate. It's so much easier uh, for these things to get done. Um, And it's really cool to see in person, uh, I, I know there are a lot of people here, uh, who, you know, have nothing to do with the meetings. They're, they're just here to kind of see the spectacle of it all. And if it ever comes to your city or around you, I, I do recommend it just to see so many baseball people pass by you, you know, both new names and old names, people you probably won't even recognize who are people with power. And then, you know, Jack McKeon, former Marlins manager walks past you with a big old cigar and you're like, yeah, no, this is definitely the baseball winter meetings. Uh, so it, it's, it's neat to have everything so in house, uh, and then it makes it so much more fun when, when big deals like this happen, uh, because you get the explanations and the insight into it so much quicker. Um, so yeah, no, it, it, it's been fun to be here for the first time and, uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing if anything can ever top this sale deal. To be honest, I don't know if there can ever be a winter meetings trade, That is going to be this much of a blockbuster, but you know we'll 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 see who else is up for the challenge. I guess
0: it really is. I mean, you could make the argument that this is the that's the most prospect laden deal, uh, in recent memory, just because of what Mankata is on his own two legs. I mean, maybe it's not you know three top ten organizational picks, but the fact that you traded away the top prospect in all of baseball is you know like you said at the outset, we just don't see that.
1: Yeah, for sure. The only thing I can. think of that's kind of similar was that Cole Hamels deal to Texas that sent a bunch of you know a bunch of prospects but there wasn't necessarily the one uh shining star that there was you know in this in this deal here uh you know in Moncada you know that that one saw Jake Thompson uh Nick Williams a couple other guys Jorge Alfaro uh, all going to Philly and that that was quite the haul for for Philly and I think that did went a long way towards rebuilding their system um, they still haven't found that major league success with that system. But, you know, as we've kind of detailed, they're closer than they have been uh, with the way that farm system performed in 2016. But, yeah, no, this is a uh, this is a, was a transformative trade. I don't know if we'll ever get something like the Herschel Walker trade in baseball, but yeah. this feels kind of close.
0: So. Keep an eye on uh, on all that because the, the Chicago White Sox have been the organization that has been on everybody's eyes and, and lips so far. And that's the organization to which we head next, as the White Sox, who already, by the way, have uh, heard their big league manager, Rick Renteria, say he sees a rising star in one Yoan Moncada, who is the newest crown jewel in a system that could be pretty loaded as it looks going into 2017. And we will hear from a guy who's very familiar with that system. And the new additions to that system. Nick Hostetler joins Sam from the winter meetings at National Harbor, Maryland. The White Sox scouting director coming up on the 87th edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Next.
1: So just to kind of get going, obviously it's, it's not every day you get to trade or you, you have to trade somebody like Chris yeah. Sale, but it's not every day you get a number one overall prospect like Yoel Mankata. Moncada. Yeah. From a scouting side, how much are you guys pushing him, knowing his skill set and what you guys think? Yeah, I mean,
2: we'd be crazy not to. The, the skill set that Johan has and uh, the upside—I think the ceiling on him is still so high. I mean, we're, we're looking. I think I've heard some comparisons to Robinson Cano, and I, I like trying to stay away from it. It's not fair to the player to try to put to put those type of comparisons on, especially a guy that's a... An impact superstar like Cano, but um, yeah, with, with him, a guy like that, you're always pushing from a scouting standpoint of wanting to add that piece to your to your organization. Um, you know, the, the thought of having him and Tim Anderson together up the middle was something. that was a driving force behind us pushing for for, for going to be that type of player. That it, you know, a centerpiece in a trade like this, um, the, the magnitude of Chris Sale.
1: Mm. And you you mentioned him, and Tim Anderson playing together. That yeah. would mean he would be at second, obviously. He played yeah. second a little bit, a little bit of third base. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, I think Rick Hahn said up the middle talent, which might even include center. Yeah. What is the kind of what do you see in his skill set defensively that could play any of those three positions, or is there are you guys honing in on second?
2: Yeah, I, I think he's going to start at second, but I think you're. Um, I think he's so athletic and he's so his baseball. Uh, his baseball acumen, his baseball skill set and his instincts are so good that he can play center um, he can go to third it's a different position than, than second center second right. center a little bit more parallel right. uh, but but third base is a little bit more reactionary mm-hmm. um, that he can do that uh, um, you know I think the, the overall athletic ability that he has is just it's so good that you can imagine plugging and playing wherever need be. Right. Um, but, yeah, he's definitely going to start at second, um, possibly uh, play some third if needed. But uh, I think second base right now is our development path.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and when you say second and center are kind of similar, I don't think a lot of people know that you know, he could play center. What, yeah. what, what would make that transition easy for him?
2: You know, I think the, the easy part for it, obviously above the athleticism, is more of just it's the same view on a field. So, you know, the center fielder is looking the same way as the second baseman's looking in into the hitter. Ball kind of comes off the bat the same. Right. Um, you may even there's times where the center fielder's actually behind the second baseman as far as the positioning. So that look of it is not won't be an adjustment for him. He's always going to be able to anticipate that. He's always going to be able to see that and react to it.
1: Mm-hmm. And obviously, he okay. got some. Uh...
2: The, off the meetings.
1: <laughs> Obviously, he got some major league time, too. First time he really struggled you yeah. know, since coming to the States. What have you guys kind of identified, particularly with the strikeouts, you know, across all levels oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with him? How are you kind of working, playing on working with yeah. him to improve that? And that
2: was one of the things we talked about a lot in the room was, was his strikeout rate. And is that more of just um, feel and adjustment? Um, you know, and, and one of the things we tried to do is take into consideration, especially with a kid Kid coming over and defecting um just the adjustment of life I mean just right, yeah. overall trying to understand wrap his head around this new fame and stardom that he has um being the number one prospect in baseball and how much does that affect his his game and so we drew back on amateur looks when he was uh when he was playing on the Cuban national team and for Marco Patti and his scouts of, of what they saw um they didn't see as much of a strikeout issue as what we saw when he came over here a lot of that too is pitching that he faced over there. It was not nearly as good as what he faced on a daily basis here. Right. Um, you know, I don't think you ever want to handcuff a guy like that, um, that talented, to try to say, ah, oh, you got to cut down on this to do this. You don't want to lose the impact. Um, not only is the speed, but the power is there to impact the game. So um, it's going to be a little bit of a feeling out process uh, for both us and, and Johan in, in this standpoint that he will understand as he plays more games what his role is on the club and what what's going to, the value is going to be. He'll make a lot of those adjustments himself, but it also comes into our player development and our coaching staff to, to show him the way to, to accomplish that without losing the impact of the power. Because um, that's usually the first thing to go. When you try to cut down the strikeouts, the, the power drops a little bit. Right. So we don't want to lose that. Um, but we do think over time he's going to develop a little bit better understanding of the strike zone. Um, and I think when that comes, um, look, I don't think any of us sitting here thinking this guy is going to be a, an even walk strikeout guy. That's not going to no, happen. Right. Yeah. But uh, I, I think at no we're, we're not concerned enough with the um, with the strikeouts to think that it's going to hinder anything else he's going to be able to do in this game. Mm-hmm.
1: And you mentioned uh, you know Cuba and the f- pitching he faced there. Rick Hahn yesterday said you guys saw him obviously very yeah. quickly knew he was going to be out of your price range. Yeah. Uh, but ha- what kind of a different player is he now after two f- he's pro He's grown a seasons?
2: lot. Um, he's grown a lot. You know, one of the things that I've noticed uh, from the time when he was before he signed to now is just his uh, his understanding of the strike zone actually has improved. Um, then he, when he first got into, even now, uh, just from a standpoint of uh, understanding the game being played here, mm-hmm. it's just different. Yeah, um, you know, and it takes a lot when you're playing in Pawtucket or wherever it may be, Double uh, Portland or wherever they're at Salem, and, and playing in front of 1,500 people sometimes. Um, to, to get yourself up for 130 of those things, sometimes it's hard. Um, it's not as loud. It's not as uh, vibrant. And, there's not as much flavor at some of our minor league parks as what yeah. there is in Cuba. So it takes a little bit. Um, it takes a little bit of time to adjust, but we did see the adjustment come. I think he also grew off the field um, as well. Uh, a lot of our guys have, have uh, done a lot of background work on him, and, and we found that he really grew up a lot. Um, a lot of The Boston people were very complimentary of his ability to adjust. Um, and for us, those little things, they're, they're, they're all pieces of the puzzle. Um, so when that final piece that puzzle goes in when he's in the big leagues um and playing on an everyday basis i think that's when you're going to see the the overall part of it come together
1: mm-hmm. and moving on to the next big name in the deal yeah. is michael kopech obviously everybody likes to talk about the heater yeah. um but what did he kind of show you guys you know starting out at salem this year starting out late obviously yeah. after the broken hand yeah. moving into the folly
2: okay i think his ability to be a little bit more consistent um, and he showed us the ability to maintain um, you know one of his issues as an amateur was his stuff dropped off pretty quickly about the third or fourth inning. Um, he'd show that flashes and you would get excited but as he got later in games the stuff would back up a little bit. He showed us the ability to go deeper into games. Um, he, threw, he threw more strikes um, than what he did previously for us. We thought his mechanics were ironed out and it was free and easy and um, you know the adjustments he made were, were easy for him because um, he was so athletic and so strong that um, it came easy and, and I think that was one of the key sticking points for us was that we felt that he had not only, he not even scratched the surface of, of what it could be uh, in 4, 5 years mm-hmm. And
1: yesterday, Han said too that you guys got reports that his makeup has kind of improved and you know, between the suspension and the altercation and all that, what exactly stood out to you guys that made you think, you know, this is a guy who's growing up
2: Yeah, pressure. and, and I, I, I personally spent about 72 hours straight on nothing but Michael Kopech makeup and, and character and checking stuff, and then all of our other guys, our pro guys did as well, as well as Rick and uh, Jeremy Haber and, and Buddy Bell. They, they, he just dug, Chris Getz, you we know, all dug with every, every connection, every contact we had, and, and what we gathered. And, and we didn't speak until we were all together. Uh, once we were all together, we compared our notes, and they were exactly the same from different sources. Um, and we gathered that uh, really what was reported about a couple of, about the incident with the teammate just it wasn't accurately reported. Um, there was some other stuff that, that we gathered from it that we were comfortable um, and confident that the situation may be a little bit uh, blown up than what it actually was, um, and we were comfortable with the answers we got from different sources and um, you know all of the, the stuff that we got from. In the main thing, the main purpose for us was the stuff that we got from his teammates. Uh, people that played with him or against him it was just—he was a tremendous kid, great makeup, and he really worked hard. And for us um, to have it to add a guy with a good teammate, great work ethic, it is for us that we were 100% confident putting our stamp on.
1: And for him being a guy who hasn't quite pitched a full season yeah. yet, what what kind of workload do you guys expect to have yeah, him on next year? He's going
2: to start for sure, um, and where that is yet still be determined. It's either going to be Winston Salem or Birmingham. Um, but he'll start, and you know we'll monitor those in- innings because. The last thing you want to do is just waste all the bullets in the minor leagues. So we'll monitor those. Um, you know, I think what we did early a, a similar path with like uh, Carson Fulmer, um, it, not that quickly as far as getting him through, but monitoring the innings. Um, you know, we shut down Carson at the end of the year this year just because he reaches inning line, pitches him out of the bullpen. Some in um, that same thing will go with Michael. We'll, we'll just make sure that we monitor. Um, the in- innings early, pitches early, make sure that him not, um, not racking up too much early and try to extend him a little bit later as the season goes on, but uh, he will start staying up, starting
1: Yeah, well, you mentioned he's starting. How much of there is an itch, though, to move him to relief given what the heater Zero. is? Zero.
2: <laughs> well, I was just going to say, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. like,
1: today, you know, with Andrew Miller and Patanzas no, no and all that. No you know, doubt. And, way... and,
2: but one of the things that we've done a really good job is identifying guys that can relieve. Really and then we even took Zach Birdie in this year's draft he's going to be a relief pitcher so we want to give him Michael every opportunity to start um the only way he'll be put into a relief role is if he forces us to put him in the relief role where it's just not you know we don't feel that there's anything else we can do to make him a starting pitcher um it's a consensus in our room like yesterday that he was going to be a starting pitcher in a big place and uh you know I trust our pitching guys more than more than anybody around I and mean, if they put their stamp on that I'm I believe him hundred percent so um Yeah, the the excitement of the power and the fastballs, it's intriguing, and you always love seeing those triple digits. Um, But we got a few triple-digit guys and added another one in Diaz and the Steel and Birdie. a couple guys like that that our bullpen's going to be fine without. And but
1: one last one, just on Basabe. Everybody likes to throw around the tools. They yeah. kind of tag on him. Yeah. But what is his ceiling exactly, do you think, given it's starting scene?
2: Yeah, he can be a starting everyday center fielder with some power. Um, he can run, but his power was kind of what stood, stood out to us. So he had uh, 12 or 13 home runs this year, hit a lot of doubles. Um, and as, as time progresses and he gets bigger and stronger, um, I don't know how much... Sh- physically stronger he's going to get but he's going to get you know he'll put on some strength um that power numbers will grow um you know i think we see a 15 20 home run type guy with doubles and uh you know there was no doubt in our room he's an everyday center fielder all right
1: we'll end on this one how much better do you guys feel about your farm system now than a lot. 24 hours a ago? lot and
2: we needed it i mean our, our system was thin there's no way around it i mean we couldn't couldn't disguise that any other way and and obviously it's bittersweet to lose chris and being a part of drafting him and signing him, it still, still this morning woke up hoping it wouldn't be as, as hurtful, but it, it still hurt. It's hurt to watch Chris go, but to get the return that we did and to get those four guys that slot right into our system, go right into our top prospects list, I mean, we couldn't be happier, and i, I venture to guess we're not done yet.
0: Well, the winter meetings are the uh, the epicenter of the business of baseball community in so many ways. And, of course, as we talked about last week with Benjamin Hill, who joins the show, uh, the, the focus so often is on the major league side and transactions and trades and free agents and all that kind of stuff. But it's a minor league baseball event, and all kinds of stuff goes on behind the scenes of the winter meetings. And Ben is already, you know, like having run a marathon basically through the first few days. How are you how are you hanging in there?
3: Uh, I'm not really doing that well. I think I've been sick for quite some time. Oh, that's terrible. but. But if someone thinks I got them sick at the winter meetings, no, they got me sick. It's someone else's fault. Everyone gets sick at the winter meetings. This is true. Talk to anyone who goes to winter meetings. They will say afterwards that they came home sick because no one leaves the hotel. Everyone's touching each other, shaking hands. It's like a preschool class. It basically is. It basically is. So um, it's not me. It's you. Yeah, and here I did.
1: (laughs) Invited Ben into my
3: hotel room.
0: Good. (laughs) Ben, like, cough on the door handles and... You know, all that stuff on the
3: way out. Don't give them ideas. No, I did on the way in. Oh, OK. Well, good. We've already got it covered.
0: Well, tell us what it's been like. Uh, I know the trade show obviously has been a, a big draw as it is annually. Um, And you had a blog post that went up about that. And just kind of a lot of discussion on how exactly this engine runs. I mean, give us the, the rundown from the first few days.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think this is something we talked about last week in advance of the meetings, um, but how this is, and as you just mentioned, Tyler, how this is a minor league event event at its core. Uh, So for me, I kind of follow the same patterns from winter meetings to winter meetings. Uh, You know, Monday is the most programmed day, and uh, I I hit a couple Bob Frieda seminar business presentations, Uh, you know, last year. I was really intrigued by minor league baseball's director of security, Ernell Lucas, and he did a presentation on drones last year. And I wrote a story about this, that. So I sat on his presentation and learned uh, more about uh, ballpark safety implementations and metal detectors and the usage of wands versus walkthroughs and training staff and all those kind of things. I, I enjoy learning about the operational side of minor league baseball still and uh, trying to focus on things that, um, you know, that the average person might not think about. So the Bob Freitas Business Seminar, which takes place throughout Monday and a little bit on Tuesday, is a good opportunity for things like that. Then there's the opening session, you know, the kind of minor league baseball State of the Union. Uh, you know, Pat O'Connor gives a speech, and that's the uh, the kind of highlight of the opening session. And, um, you know, an interesting speech from Pat this year and that um, – I think tied in with the mood of the country, I'm a little uncertain right now about the way things are headed. You know, what is baseball, but a reflection of America. So I think there's maybe a little more uncertainty in recent years um, in terms of what direction things could go in this country and in minor league baseball. But on the whole, the industry is very healthy, just like America is healthy and like America perseveres, minor league baseball will persevere. And, um, so on and, on and on and on and on it goes. I spent all yesterday at the trade show, hours and hours at the trade show doing interviews of interesting vendors. Uh, my day really started off with the highlight when um, I went to the Legends of Wrestling booth and uh, Hacksaw Jim, I always want to call him Duggan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no.
3: Shows what a wrestling fan I am, is that I cannot pronounce his name. But Hacksaw Jim Dugan. Dugan, I think that's it, yeah. And uh, Nasty Boy Brian Knobs. Uh, recorded a great promo for me about why they should visit minor league ballparks. So uh, check that out on my blog and on Twitter, Ben's Biz blog and at Ben's Biz. But I talked to all sorts of trade show vendors from, uh, you know, vacuum salesmen to wrestlers uh, to theme Jersey purveyors. Uh, today I went back to the trade show and I stopped by the retro brand booth that who make the official Ben's Biz t shirt So check that out. If uh, you, know, you want to wear a Ben's Biz t-shirt, I'm even selling myself the minor league baseball um, or the, the, the Winter meetings is really all about selling yourself, whether you're you're a job seeker, uh, you know, free agent, you know, from that side, uh, you know, trades. It's about uh, making yourself as visible as possible and um, seeing people you only really get a chance to see once a year.
1: And as you've kind of gone gone through this, I mean, this being my first meetings, it seems like everything's pretty well set up, you know, where you're going, you know, where the trade show is, that kind of thing. But what about this year's winter meetings has surprised you so
0: far?
3: Um, I don't think too much has surprised me. Um, I've been to three winter meetings in Nashville at the Gaylord Opryland Resort, and uh, where we are here in National Harbor just south of D.C. is also a Gaylord Resort. And you see a very similar aesthetic in the layout of the hotel, Um, you know, very, very high ceilings, wide open space, um, you know, multi-layered, multi-leveled escalators and staircases and nooks and crannies giving way to new hallways and new ballrooms and new meeting rooms. Uh, it's always a labyrinth. So and to that extent, I guess it didn't surprise me, but I was kind of surprised by how much it sort of felt like a slightly smaller version uh, of Nashville. But in terms of the meetings themselves, uh, this is my 10th winter meetings. I attended uh, in 2007 and 2008 sort of unofficially and since 2009 uh, in this capacity I'm currently in. And they are really pretty you know, smooth, well-oiled machines in terms of um, the logistics that go into making that happen. And we talked about that last week, and I have a story on MILB.com uh, sort of about how they come to be on that end if you're interested. So no real surprises in the winter meeting um, because for me, unlike you, Sam, and unlike most people, I'm not really paying attention to the hot stove stuff. So yeah. the surprises are not so much in the operation and logistics of the meetings themselves. They're in what happens during the meeting. And I often find out, about some of these big things when I'm walking by a TV that is reporting them, even though I'm in the building in which it's <laughs> happening. It's kind of an irony. <laughs> Ben,
0: there was a, a celebrity sighting and a story that you got to write. Bubba Watson, a Masters champ and also a part owner of the AA Pensacola Blue Wahoos, he's taking this in as, like, a member of the minor league ownership ranks, which he is, but it still seems a little strange to see one of the greatest golfers in the world just, like, sitting in on owners' meetings, all that kind of stuff. I mean, what, uh, what was that like to get a chance to talk to, to Bubba Watson about things that weren't, like, how does it feel to be so good at golf?
3: Yeah, I, I did a very rare interview with Bubba Watson in which I did not ask him a single question about golf, which is a good thing because I don't know a single thing about golf. <laughs> but um, he was at the Winter Meetings on Monday, the first time he's ever attended. He is a co-owner of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, and I get the sense – he's a Pensacola native, and I really get the sense in talking to him and in what he's done at the ballpark so far that this is not just a an investment for him like a little small piece of his portfolio – this is his hometown. This is something he cares about. This is something he wants to learn about. He's very involved at the ballpark throughout the season in terms of doing promotional um, promotional appearances. He will even, um, you know, take place in the award ceremony, recommending like game day employees who are being honored. Uh, he, he's really um, interested in the world of minor league baseball, how it operates, and he's kind of saying, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of athletes don't really think about what they want to do next. Uh, until it really comes time and they have no choice. So I think not necessarily that when Bubba's done with golf that he'll be 100% full-time minor league baseball operator, but I think he has a genuine interest in the business, a genuine interest in staying rooted in Pensacola and making a difference in that community uh, with his uh, you know charitable decisions and with his business decisions, and I think the Blue Wahoos are a great fit for him. So I just talked to to him about that. Uh, you know, what got him interested in uh, the Blue Wahoos in the first place and uh, what he's doing and how he hopes to move forward in the industry and uh, what he's trying to learn. He's trying to be hands-on and, uh, you know, be a fly on the wall to the extent you can be when you're a pretty big-name sports celebrity and uh, you can never be totally anonymous in that situation. But it's interesting that um, someone of his caliber, you know, won two Masters tournaments, um, really wants to be part of a double-A operation and learn the nuts and bolts of it. And I know Bubba was a guy that we kind of saw.
1: He was, I think he was at an awards luncheon, so we knew he was here because of that. Um, but one of the things I was hoping you would talk about, too, is just what it's like to kind of wander around here, who you bump into, the type of people you find when you just wander the meetings. I mean, that's part of the draw here is that there's so many baseball people in one area, you know, from rookie level all the way, the majors all combined together. Um, you know, when you walk the floor here, who are the types of people you're bumping into uh, specifically?
3: Well, pretty much everyone who works in minor league baseball, um, having been fortunate enough to write about this industry for a little over a decade now, uh, you know, been full time within it for s- over seven years, been traveling since the 2010 season. I've met so many people and, uh, really being the only sort of person who does what I do, the more business and culture of minor league baseball, um, that's put me in a lot of, in touch with a lot of minor league front office employees, and I've seen them at the promo seminar to some extent when that takes place in late September. but the winter meetings is you know bar none the time to see everyone you might know in the world of baseball and um, so I love it and, and it gives me story ideas for the future, whether it's a trap you know somewhere I should visit or whether it's just a little mental node to you know reach back to someone because they have an interesting story. Uh, it's a great place to sort of gather material um, you know not just for the winter meetings. Uh, for immediate coverage, but you know, to kind of put in your back pocket for the off season and the season to come, and it, it's great to talk to people. And you know, hey, it's the off season, and you know, we all live in New York City, and I love living in New York City. But you know, people don't know who I am in New York, and that's fine. I'm not Bubba Watson. I'm Ben's Biz. But it's nice to spend a couple of days of the winter meetings and have everyone know me and try to. I sort of pretend I'm a celebrity because everyone's like, "Hey, Ben Hill, Ben's Biz," and that doesn't happen in real life. So this is kind of a. Uh, you know, a surreal reality for a few days, where I get to pretend that people know and love me instead of being totally alone. Well, what's Here's something things.
1: that you've kind of learned here that you've been able to put in your back pocket for later, or you're think you're thinking about not 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 road oh, well, See, well,
3: when I have things in my back pocket, I keep them in my back okay. pocket right. until I'm, I'm ready saying, to like, transfer them to a different article of clothing. Okay, I was, I was thought it was a tease opportunity, but okay.
0: Well, well, two things, real quick. Um, people do know and love you. A one one and one a and B. Uh, you Thanks, just referenced Tyler. a different article of clothing, and I'm very excited for the the first meta moment that you have where you just see somebody wearing a Ben's Biz shirt just, like, out in the open. That'll be really I've cool. not
3: seen that yet. I mean, I visited my dad over Thanksgiving, and he was wearing it. I don't think that counts, though. <laughs> but I've not just been wandering around and seen someone wearing a Ben's Biz t-shirt. It'll happen someday. Uh, it'll further validate my existence. And, and uh, until that day, what am I going to rely on? The love of friends and family? No, that's dumb. No, the love I of someone, the love of me and Sam, body. obviously. Oh yeah. Although I don't think I'll either of have us has a guys. shirt yet. Yeah. Because yeah. I know I. I always have so, you guys, and you need to wear my Ben's Vist shirt. Just saying that I don't have one yet, but uh, you know, yeah. whatever. Right. It's cool. It's a uh, twenty dollars in the bills. <laughs>
0: He is Benjamin Hill. He's on Twitter at Ben's biz. Uh, there's all kinds of great stuff. The blog is now up at medium. So it's Ben's biz dot The address is the same, but the new look is there and is fantastic. And make sure to the follow
3: the blog on medium when you yeah. read it hit that follow button please smash that follow button slide into yeah. the dms by
0: smashing the follow bu- whatever um and also all kinds of good stuff up on the site the uh, the bubble watson story is up on the site right now at milb.com um as well as the the preview story from last week for the winter meetings and kind of the in event story and the logistics that go into making the winter meetings happen it's all all really fascinating stuff and great stuff as always from ben and uh and we'll do the post-mortem on the winter meetings coming up next week
3: yeah we will do and more stuff Stuff to come, uh, even within hours of speaking to you right now. So stay tuned. Ben's Biz at Ben's Biz Twitter. Thank you.
0: Big thanks to Nick Hossettler of the Chicago White Sox and Benjamin Hill, who you can find on Twitter. As he noted, he's at Ben's Biz. And you can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com, and all kinds of good stuff continuing to come to the site from both Ben and Sam at the winter meetings in National Harbor, Maryland. We're going to have a ton to talk about next week. We've also got uh, an interview already lined up for next week, correct?
1: Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, Dan Linetta, uh, Tiger's. Uh, director of Minor League Operations won the Chief Bender Award this year at the uh, Minor League Baseball Winter Meetings. So I got to c- catch up with him after that, uh, and we'll kind of tease that out for next week. You guys can hear that next week. Obviously, the trade kind of jumped. Uh, jump the line a little bit but uh yeah look forward to that next week if you're a tigers fan
0: we'll have that we'll have some rule five draft reaction if there are any big uh notable names moving places which is uh coming up this week as well and we'll do all that and more on next week edition of the show before the show podcast man we'll we'll get you set for almost christmas time it's ridiculous ridiculous and it's snowing here it's ridiculous
1: Maybe it'll be snowing in New York by that time, go. and I'll, I'll be the one in a in a
0: wintry mood when we when we get back. We'll play some Christmas carols or something. We'll do all that. Yeah, it's all coming up next week. And uh, enjoy the rest of the winter meetings. And the reason your team didn't do the things that you want is because they obviously hate you. That's the only way we can explain it. The questions that will get into the inbox, your team just doesn't like you. That's why. That's why they disappointed you at the winter meetings. So now that we have that out there, good. to know. <laughs> Talk to you guys next week.